If there's a flash mob that says everybody go to Walmart and find someone buying this toy, just stand around them and call them mean names. Is it market manipulation for Walmart to ask those people to leave the building? No. That's, I mean, technically, you're, they're manipulating their own marketplace. They can also set their opening and closing times according to what they decide they want to set it. It's a, it's a private business. And people that are going in to buy at, at Walmart, they have choices of other stores to buy from. You don't have to go to Walmart. Once more unto the breach, dear friends, else close the wall up with our English dead. Uh, welcome again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Together, we are bald. And we are The Personal Wealth Coach. Yes, we are also The Personal Wealth well, Yeah, that too. That's secondary, I think. We're both bald people. We have beards. You can tell him, Jeff, it has a white beard. I have a darker beard with gray appearing in it in significantly more places than I think is appropriate. But it is, it's happening in there. So that's how you can tell us apart on the air uh, or on the podcast by our hair color. Yes. On our face. I agree completely. It's yes. easiest. Uh, the, so Jeff and Jake, and I've got this, we normally go right into disclosures. Here's a disclosure because I've been getting this question again. Uh, what is our relationship with each other? Uh, he's my dad. Jeff is Jake's dad and Jake is Jeff's son. But we've been working together professionally for now 30 years, 30 and one month. Well, I guess 30 in two weeks because I started on the 31st of January 30 years ago. So how does it feel to be working with your son for 30 years? Old. Old? I feel old. Well, that's our first disclosure. Uh, he feels old. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I read news articles about people who are obviously very popular and very important people making comments about things, and I haven't got a clue who they are, I said, okay, I'm old. Right, right. We, we just had this conversation. Who's Mark Cuban? Is he a basketball player? Uh, <laughs> so we went over that. We don't follow sports very much and we don't watch reality television we don't we do watch venture capital moves but we don't even watch like the shark tank even though uh his son and my brother have been part of that world for a while uh so yeah that's more disclosures we're, we're not up on sports uh if you want to ask us who won the super bowl you're likely to get an answer that's something like, I think the Mavericks, isn't it? The Ma No, that was because I was looking at Mark Cuban. He owns that team. They must hey, have won the Super Bowl. I know. It was Florida that won. Florida, the Packers, right? Whoever's in Florida. I don't know either. So that's, the, that's another big disclosure. We don't know sports, and, and we can make jokes about that all day, but it's, it's actually true. We really have no idea. I don't know who won the Super Bowl. We're definitely geeks. Yeah. Uh, but we do know economics, and we spend a lot of time working on that. So let's do the disclosures about 
how we know economics, and then we can jump into the program. We already have questions waiting. Well, for starters, the personal wealth coach is the name of not only the radio program you're listening to, and if you weren't listening to it, you wouldn't know that. It's also the name of a registered investment advisory firm uh, registered under the Investment Advisory Act of 1940 and regulated by the SEC. See, that way I can just say it nicely and it works out well. But we still have to say just because we're regulated by the SEC doesn't mean that they approve of us anyway. They don't do that. That is certainly not part of their charter. There's nothing about approval in in any government organization. They don't give you a stamp of approval. They just say, yes, we're watching. And important about it regulated by the sec people who ask me about that if a investment advisory firm has less than 100 million dollars under management it's regulated by the state if it has more than 100 million dollars under management it's supposed to be regulated by the securities exchange commission so we're in the more than 100 100 million dollar category so the sec regulates us yes but they approve or disapprove they deny all knowledge of anything we're doing now having said that the firm that is the personal wealth coach that is regulated by the SEC, the principles of that firm are the co-hosts here. This oh. radio program is also called the personal wealth coach, but we're not going to be giving fiduciary investment advice on here. Even though that's what we do in our day jobs, we're going to be giving educational material because if we gave fiduciary advice to one of you, it would be not fiduciary advice to all the rest of you. And we would be in violation of the law because we would be giving advice and publicizing it to everybody else. Yeah. So there's privacy issues and all kinds of other things that we are aware of and not just aware of, we actually respect those issues. It's not just because of regulations. People need to get their advice privately. We can give education publicly, but they need to get their advice privately. Even though we're on this radio program, we're not paying for it. This is not an infomercial. Uh, we're not paying for the radio program. KTM doesn't pay us. It's public service. We do advertise on KTM for the radio show, which is very confusing, I know, but that's all right. KTM also right, uh, advertises on KTM for the Town Square, advertises on KTM for the radio program. So And on this radio program for themselves. Yes. So they do get money for this program, just not from us. Uh, they get it from the advertisement that they believe that uh, those people that are giving those advertisements out there believe that you're actually buying things. So they're paying the studio for our time, which is fantastic. We don't have to pay for it. That's cool. All right. Um, what else? Oh, yes. Sources. I, I, I would normally jump in because we're kind of handing this back and forth, but this is your favorite disclosure. So I'm going to let you do the deeming. It is. Uh, the information we present, the educational information we present on this radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. We get way too much pleasure out of these disclosures. I like that disclosure quite a lot. It's a, it's a cognitive test. If I can do it, then my brain is working. Right. Uh, or either that or you have it memorized so well that you don't have to think about it anymore. Well, same thing. Yeah. So why are we talking about that? Well, because the very first time I was quoted in a newspaper, uh, I think I was quoted as Jake McFlower. People make mistakes. Uh, even, even really good 
bureaucratically crafted I don't I think that was an oxymoron. Can you have a good bureaucratically crafted document? Well, we yes. get them from the labor department, we get them from uh, the commerce department. This is part of how we track what's happening in the economy. So yeah, but they still make mistakes too. They revise and they make estimates and the Congressional Budget Office is relatively famous for mistakes, I think, because everybody expects them to get it right or at least acts like they expect them to get it right so that they can chortle about how wrong they were. Why do people still expect them to get it right? If I don't know. Sorry. This is, that's a separate issue. Um, but yeah, news can be inaccurate. And we're trying to get it from the most accurate sources that we know of. And we try to find multiple sources for the same thing when we're talking. So multiple news sources for the same thing when we're talking about it on the air. Yeah. There. Or anywhere else. Or anywhere else for that matter. Even when I'm talking to myself, I'm like, well, I can't say that to me. I haven't verified that. And that may be a little bit of a joke, but it's more true than I'd like to really I came out and admitted it right in public, but yeah, it's true. All right, so what happened in the markets this week? Well, unlike last week, last week the S&P 500 rose slowly all week. It was very rational, a very slow-moving rise in prices. Each day would rise a little more, which is kind of comforting. This last week it zigged up and down on zigged and zagged, or zigzagged is the case of me. Microsoft Word tells me that zigzag is a single word. It's not two words, but what? it moved all during the week. I, I think. How do man? There's some kind of secret committee that comes up with the right spelling and, and statement for words. I mean, how do they do that for zigzag? Who's like, yes, this is now an officially uh, recognized word. I mean, Webster does that, or is it Microsoft these days? I think it's Microsoft that does it. Microsoft has become the dominant force. It's like used to. There's this big battle years ago between uh, Wikipedia. And the Encyclopedia Britannica. And the Encyclopedia Britannica, I think, lost. I think so, too. I used to have one. But uh, it costs a lot of money to keep those things up to date. They're beautiful. Well, I say I had one. It was that big, huge set that I spent so much time reading as a kid. Yeah, I just admitted to being a geek again. I did it again. Right there, didn't I? The S&P 500... End of the week, up 1.25%, but almost all of that was in the afternoon, Friday afternoon. Prior to that, it just zigzagged up and down. It's up 4.76% year-to-date, and it's 16% higher than it was a year ago. Incidentally, those of you who were afraid, and I've said this before, but it's important to note, who were afraid that because the because President Biden won the election, the market was going to crash. By the way, there were people previously who thought because President Trump won the election in the previous election, the market was going to crash. And, and prior to the election, we had uh, an even number of people calling us saying they were afraid the market was going to crash because X was elected, which either won. So we had equal for Trump and, and Biden. And what we said on the air at the time is that that rarely uh, the market tends to go up after an election because the, we've got a new president. That's it. That, there's no kind of parallel with which party they are. And it's just to, to say that I told you so. Anyway, it's cru- the market is cruising higher. Uh, 1.25% is nothing like the 4% it was up last week, but 1.25% a week is a heck of a rise, and it's continuing to rise. And $58 billion was 
added to equity funds, mutual funds and equity markets this last week. In one week, $58 billion went into the equity markets that wasn't there before. It came out of savings and went into the market. Well, I have another piece on that. This is, We're going to come back to that because about $15 billion of that was two transactions. And I can talk about that. It's kind of cool and crazy and, whoa, what just happened? So this, this is something that I had pre-prepped to talk about, so I'm glad you're talking about it first. So we well, can come back to it. To put it in perspective, during most of this bull market run since the pandemic caused a pretty decent crash in the market, equity flows have been out. In other words, people have been taking money out of equity positions, putting them in bond positions or cash positions because they thought the market was going to crash again. It's reversed itself very thoroughly this year. Matter of fact, it's reversed itself. It started reversing itself in December and is reversed thoroughly during 2021, where the money is now flowing out of cash and to some degree out of bonds. Bonds are people are still buying bonds, but yeah. but the, the money is now going to equities. And that's an indication that we're in a mature bull market. And we're seeing interest rates rise as well. So people are watching the values starting to drop on the principal for their bonds. And they're a little shocked. And they're like, whoa, I got out of stocks so I could avoid going down. But I'm starting to go down to my bonds. So they're going back to stocks. It's It's a very normal thing to happen at this point in a market well there's a healthy thing going on in the market too not only was the s p 500 up 1.25 percent it's we've seen that before and that's largely driven by the 10 largest large growth companies in the s p 500 the tech companies as they're called but the other end of the s p 500 the s p 500 is made up of large cap and mid cap stocks small cap stocks aren't in the s p 500 so if growth is at one end, if large cap growth is at one end of the S&P 500, the opposite corner of the S&P 500 would be mid cap value. And the CRSP mid cap value index rose 2.10 for the week, more than the S&P 500. It's now up 7.28% year to date. That is an indication of health, by the way, when, when the value side of the market is coming along and growing faster than the whole market, that is an indication that the foundation that the market is built on, the value stocks, are firming up. And this is the opposite of what happens in a market mania where pure irrational exuberance takes over the market. It's not to say that there's not irrational exuberance out there. Uh, the CRSP index is only up 5.25% since this time last year, whereas the S&P 500 is up 16 But we're seeing that, that, that uh, foundation in the market start to fill in, which is healthy for the market the the that's not to say there's not craziness going on in the market there's a lot of craziness going on in the market on both the greedy and the scary end you notice GameStop is no longer GameStop is no longer making the headlines it went from $18 to $347 that's what it closed at it was up to $473 intraday and it's now fallen to $51 per share so if you bought her Somebody bought at 100 or 200 and really proud of themselves, but they didn't sell at the right time. They're out a significant amount of money. They've lost 75% at this point. Anecdotal reports that there's quite a few people who uh, bought above $100 a share. Yeah. Uh, and there's that same Reddit thread that was talking up the purchase of it. There's a new meme on there. And Reddit is kind of the birth ground for almost every meme you've ever seen. Uh, so the new meme is uh, buy high, sell low, right? 
and there's a video of a guy falling down a muddy hill and splatting into the mud at the bottom. Uh, it's fantastic. It's and that's the meme is that, and everybody's like, "Yep, that's what I do: <laughs> buy high and sell low. It's great." Well, there are a lot of people who did that. Yeah, because it was a tremendous volume went into uh, GameStop when it hit a hundred dollars a share and kept going up. And a lot of those investors are still holding, hoping it'll go up again, but I don't think it's going to happen. No, I, the, the reality is that the underlying, I mean, it might, if enough people short it again, they might jump back on and do another short squeeze. But the reality is that the underlying company's not been making a profit. It's, ba- it's a physical seller of computer games that nobody buys physical copies of anymore. They go online and download it, or they don't even go online. It's on their computer linked up on Steam or Epic or any number of other streaming sources that let you do your purchase through your app. You don't go to a store to buy a game anymore. In fact, when you buy a gaming computer today, it doesn't come with a DVD drive. I mean, how would you put the game on your computer if you had a physical? You can't, like, hammer it into the machine. So the long term on GameStop is the same thing it was before this all happened. It's They have to completely redesign the company if they want to keep living. And they've got a long road to do on that. The likelihood is probably pretty low. Yep. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was going to say... Um, that this this subject has had a lot more attention than really should have had, but it's a fun conversation, so I understand why people are interested. All right, uh, so that was GameStop. What else happened in the market? Well, and you actually have to turn your camera on just as a side note, so otherwise you just look like you're smiling at me. You've got a very nice portrait, but okay. All right, how often have each of us, as listeners and hosts, gone through this in the last almost year <laughs> all right so um you you had said something 50 i think you said 56 billion dollars of an inflow into equity mutual funds this 58. last 58 okay there are in in the industry on on the in, the insiders in the industry the industry rags are talking about a couple of weird trades that took place um Vanguard's S&P 500 ETF. First, ETFs are not like normal mutual funds. They're traded during the day. There is some other weirdness about them too in that they're not traded based on their net asset value. That's kind of a guideline rather than a hard. means that what they own internal to the fund doesn't always show up in what they're priced on the market. Where a mutual fund, a normal open-ended mutual fund, if you own that fund, your percentage of it is ba- your percentage, your value is the percentage of what you own of the value of the fund, not the fund having a separate value from that. I know that's a little bit confusing, but uh, when you trade something during the day, the mutual fund manager doesn't have time to buy and sell inside the portfolio to match your daily trades. The reason why a lot of mutual funds, most open-ended mutual funds um, that are not ETFs, are going to trade at the close of business. So when you make it, say I want to buy, I want to sell, it's going to happen after the business is, is closed. An influx of cash goes into that fund if you're buying or out of that fund if you're selling, 
And they have a couple of days to kind of come up with how they want that to impact what they're owning in the fund. In an ETF, you're oftentimes buying the ETF from somebody else that owns the ETF rather than going through the fund management to buy and sell internal. So there's some difference in there. The Vanguard S&P 500 ETF, uh, they're designed to track the S&P 500. I know that sounds weird, having that in their name. What a strange thing for them to do. Um, they had a 8.7 billion single-day influx of capital. And I say capital because it wasn't cash. It came in... Uh, it's probably institutional from maybe another ETF getting eaten into it or someone that had a privately managed roughly S&P 500 tracking bunch of, of stocks that they, through, through an agreement with the management, they can say, hey, we're going to bring a bunch of stocks and such that match your basic allocation and that will be my money coming into the fund. So it's not like they sold something elsewhere in the market and are now buying this. It's almost like a merger of two different funds, only one of them was probably only owned by one person, and the other one is a pooled investment vehicle. So, And that's not the only one that happened this, this week. Uh, that The Vanguard S&P 500 has about $194 billion in it. The iShares Core S&P 500 also this week, this one's worth about $251 billion, had about $7.6 billion come in in the same sort of trade. It's likely it was a different original owner, but it could have been the same person. So, weirdness. I think, and I've got, I think I've got the echo problem. Eliminated. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. The... Um this inflow into the market is very striking. It's very large. And there's a big plus to it, though, and that is that you're talking about the S&P 500 uh, ETF Vanguard handled that influx of cash without a blip. Yeah, and that's the thing. They didn't make any major trades based on that single big trade. They didn't buy more stock when that money, when that air quotes over this money came in. So that means it didn't come in as money. It came in as stock. The point is that there's some tremendous volume going on that was unprecedented in the market this week. That's part of why we saw the zigzags up and down in the market. But the point is the system worked. It continued to function. It didn't have any glitches. And it's, it's uh, a lot to be said for what didn't happen. There were no crises in the market, despite the fact we had record inflows. Right. So I think that was that subject. I have another subject really fast one hopefully or do you have something to wrap this one up I won't finish the market but unless oh yeah to... yeah let's let's do that benchmark u.s treasury 10-year note it agreed with the stock market and rose 3.33 percent to 1.210 percent now that doesn't sound like a lot and if you haven't been following it for most of 2020 the 10 the yield on the 10-year u.s treasury was which is the benchmark for almost all lending was below 1%. It's up 1.2% now. That's pretty impressive compared to where it was. Even more impressive to me is the fact that the 30-year Treasury is holding just barely under 2%. What does that mean? That means we have a relatively steep yield curve. 
a steep yield curve historically has indicated a rising economy into the future, which is part of why the market, the stock market is going up. Uh, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil ended, it rose 4.8% for the week. It's at $59.73. And again, you may remember it was one point was a negative $34 a barrel. Uh, and most people ha do not remember that. When I mentioned uh, that oil was at a negative, massive negative per barrel in 2020, they, they look at me with shock. I think they heard it at the time, but it was so hard for them to comprehend that they don't remember it. And admittedly, Saudi Arabia and OPEC have been cutting back on their, well, actually cutting back, but holding steady on their production and not increasing it. But the you want to see the reason that the price of oil is going up or has gone up, and the price of gasoline is now back to where it was a year ago. Just get onto I-35 when there's not ice on it. Yes. There's a lot of people driving, a lot of trucks moving up and down the highway. We are reusing the, the transportation side of our economy is running at pretty much full throttle right now. And it's using a lot of fuel to do it, except, of course, for aviation, which is still in the pits. But yeah. as a matter of fact, one of the things we probably will see, the, the, the stocks of oil, stocks of oil sounds weird, uh, the oil tanks across the country which were a few months ago as full as they could get and oil was being stored on ships floating offshore. This is why oil was at a negative per barrel is because it cost money to store it and there was no place to store it. So any new oil that was being produced, you actually had to pay money to have somebody take it away from you because you, you can't just put it on the ground. Oil is, well, is you can't. people get mad at you for doing that. Yeah, the EPA would be very upset if you just dumped it on the ground. Um, but the point is that the oil stocks are dropping. We're burning oil and using oil in the United States faster than it's either being imported or being produced. And so the price is going to be going up. If this continues, and it looks like it probably will continue at this point, expect some pretty high gasoline prices in the summertime. That's going to have an effect on things. But It will be good for frackers, but it's, it's not good for those of us that want to get back to moving around and not being stuck in our own home. Yep. And that's the, uh, that's, that's basically the news from the market. Okay. Uh, we see evidence in the commodities market. And this is some of the ones we don't mention like copper and aluminum steel. There's a lot of evidence that the economy at the very fundamental, most fundamental level, the, the transportation and construction level is starting to recover. Yeah. Uh, we're still the the back to normal index that Moody's CNN Moody's or Moody's CNN back to normal index is still about eighty point five, which is down from well down from where it was in October, and it's kind of stuck there where we're operating at about four fifths of of the economic activity that we had before the pandemic started. And the bottom line to it is, until we get the pandemic behind us, we're probably going to stay there. Yeah, it's just it has a, an effect. I mean, I was under quarantine the last two radio programs sitting at home because there was an exposure that slows down work that slows down business that's just and until we're through this business is going to get slowed down even if man and if the government shutdown happens that slows it down even more the whole idea is to stop the spread of the virus so that we can get back to work speaking of the spread of the virus it looks like we've peaked out from the third wave and are on, on the way back down again. I certainly hope that. Of course, it, you never can tell until you look back and see it. 
but um, the hospitalizations have fallen to the lowest level since November 16th. Newly reported daily cases remain below 100,000 a day, which sounds like a lot, but it's a lot less than we were having uh, at the beginning of the month of uh, January. Uh, 76,797 on Wednesday were hospitalized for COVID. The death toll is still setting records. Uh, It's about 3,364 per day. We've had about 471,000 people die, but the good news is the death toll is a lagging indicator. Uh, Locally, I don't know that I don't know that that's good news. The the slightly less bad news is that it's a lagging indicator. I don't know well, you can look at the death toll as a good news in in any way. The um, but it's not an indication of where we're going. It's an indication of where we were, which we knew right. already beginning of the month. Locally, we am hearing anecdotal information. ICU beds are full. I mean, literally full in hospitals around here. There aren't any more ICU beds, uh, which is about as bad as it's gotten so far. Yeah, we had a big outbreak over the last uh, week or so right here in Central Texas. In fact, last week at this point, it was the hottest area in the world, not just the country. So it's not surprising that hospital beds around here are full. So we're still going to get these outbreaks. It's still dangerous, but it looks like we're on the backside of the third wave. Now, we won't know. There's no guarantee that there'll only be three waves. We have a variant, the the British, the United Kingdom found variant of COVID-19 is in Texas and spreading. It's more contagious and it is uh, more dangerous to to get. So do keep your guard up out there because it's important to do that. Right. And uh, we have a question from John. John, thanks for your good questions every week. It's fantastic. Um, his, the subject of the email is 401k and hacking. And the question is, how many employees do not have access to 401k accounts? And is there any protection from 401 account, 401k account hacks? Um, the Pension Rights Center, which is uh, a, a not-for-profit that does surveys on this stuff, and they, they look into 401ks and pension fa- plans, and they're pretty well-known. They did a survey in July of 2019, which normally at this point in early 2021, I would say this is pretty accurate, but we've had a pandemic and there's a lot of people that are out of work and a lot of people that are back to work. So these numbers are not going to be absolutely accurate. In fact, they're going to be wide margins of error, but still better than no answer at all. And that is that all workers across private, state, local federal government, we have, uh, at least in the middle of 2019, about 139 million workers. We have fewer than that now by a significant number. So we've got about 120 million in the workforce right now. So it's about 19 million less. Let that be part of this answer just as a reference. The percentage of workers participating in a workplace retirement plan in July of 2019 was 56%. That number is higher today because the people that were let go in many cases were the people that were not participating in 401ks. We don't know what the number is, but we do know that it's higher. So that's not good news or bad news, but it is news. All right, so 56% of the, of the workplace have access or are using a, a retirement plan through their employer. 
almost everybody in government is. So 83% of state, state and local governments are doing this. And every full-time worker of the federal government is eligible for uh, the TSP. Uh, they also have FERS, which is a pension plan, if they're working long enough. So that that's all being said. 56% of 139 people are higher than that of 119 million. So we're talking more than 50 million, probably somewhere around 55 million people in the United States are using a plan. Now, that's the first part. Now, what's the protection against hacking? Okay, and hacking um, or theft period, is a, is a major concern. It's part of the reason why uh, there's, there's a, uh, an act uh, from 1974 called ERISA, the Employer, uh, Employee Retirement Income Security Act, um, that covers part of this. Basically, it's saying that if you are custodying these assets, you have to protect them, you have to have insurance on them, um, and it's very much like if you have money at the bank. Now, it's not as uniform across the entire country as money in the bank, which, you know, everybody says if you've got it in the bank, if it's FDIC insured, you've got a pretty uniform blanket thing that you can apply across all banks. 401ks are obligated to, to in the vast majority of cases, to make sure that damage that takes place to you in your 401k because of theft doesn't actually reach to you. Now, how they do that is different in a lot of cases. This is a thing that this article was talking about in the Wall Street Journal that you brought the question up with. And that, that is that we've got to have some reform here. Originally, this is something that's not in the, in the article. A 401k was an accident of government. It was not originally intended to be a retirement plan. Section 401k was written originally covering other expenditures having to do with paying employees. And a, an astute lawyer looked at it and said, hey, we can use this as a retirement plan where the employees get to designate how they invest. And then Congress came back and said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, we meant, we meant to do that. That's fine. That's fine. We meant to do that. And ever since, we've been trying to put regulations on it and at the congressional level, different regulations, at the Labor Department level, different regulations. We haven't really clearly defined it. And every single 401k plan in existence out there is individual. It is not written... Each one has to be written individually. There's not a standard, hey, let's start a 401k, chuck chunk, there it is, it's done. Each one is individual. So you have to recognize that when we get these surveys of who's involved in a 401k, they're talking to people and getting answers, but it's really hard to get absolutely accurate numbers on this. In answer to his question, it's a very important thing to recognize that even though the there is the SIPC and there is there is ERISA that protects your assets in a 401k from being from disappearing if your advisor or if somebody else disappears or tries to take the money. Hacking, as it is colloquially called, 
into your 401k is something if you don't take reasonable precaution, you don't have any protection against. Yeah. It may be that the custodian will replace your money if it's, you find that they hacked in through the custodian. The main hacks into people's 401k, they're not really hacks. They're simply a case of somebody giving away their password and their account number just to, uh, to a nefarious person. You don't do that. It's like giving away your bank account number and your password to your bank. People do it all the time, though. And, for example, we are continually on our clients not to send your 401k statement, not to scan it or in any way transmit it by email. Or your social security statements or your bank statements or your uh, or a check. Yeah. It's important to leave this stuff. Like email is not secure. Now, if you have a secured link to somebody, which in some cases you do, but you better you need to know what you're doing to know that you've got that, then you can you can transmit it that way. But the majority of cases where 401ks are hacked, people voluntarily give away their password and their account number to somebody because there's an email comes up and says your 401k is this or that or the other. You need to click this link and they'll ask you for your password, your your ID, your, your sign-on ID, your account number, and your password to double-check security. Don't do that because you've just given away everything that somebody needs to get into your 401k. Yeah, if you get an email with a link in it saying log on here, don't follow the link. Go log into it the way you normally do. Because that's the most common way that this sort of hacking occurs is you follow the link and it goes to a different web page first and acts as like the gateway into the retirement plan and just records all your all your passwords and stuff. So just log in your normal way. Don't follow the links in the emails and Man, I wish there was a, a, a way we could say that to people that would make it easy to remember. Just don't follow links and emails. And it's also a very good idea not to put an obvious password in it. The most common password I've read several times used across the country is one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. And believe me, if somebody ever gets your account number, which is not that hard to do, gets the account number for your 401k and figures out who's holding the 401k, they know the web address to go to and they can try several attempts to get to your password and i have to say this the way we know what the most common passwords are is because hackers publish them this is how we know what the most common passwords are is that we have there there are people in the security world that go across the nefarious nature of the web that people call it the black web but it's just the web. It's just in places, you know, any, any part of the web could be considered the black web if you, if you looked at it that way. But the most common passwords haven't really changed that much. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. QWERTY. QWERTY is a really, really common one. Password is normal. Um, anytime you're writing out, like, I love you, people are like, well, that's three words. Nobody's going to guess that. Well, yeah, enough of you thought the same thing. So it's, it's hard to do this, but don't choose one that's just based on a pattern on the keyboard. Or on your birth date, or on your name, or on the name of your dog. You have to come up with something that's just plain weird. Especially if you, if you have a Facebook page and you're posting pictures about your dog. <laughs> People do. Yeah, social media has given a lot of tools 
to the bad guys. It's given a lot of tools to the good guys too, but the bad guys can look at social media and say, hey, we, we got all this information. This is the birth date of the granddaughter and look, let's try the birth date on the, on the granddaughter. Oh, there it is. There's your password. Uh, so don't do that. If you're posting pictures about the birth of your granddaughter, don't use your granddaughter's birthday as your password. Uh, that's, you know, most people aren't going to get scrutinized by a hacker unless they find that if you send a statement that says you have $500,000, you're going to get scrutinized. Watch out for the hacker. Interesting thing that occurred. We're almost out of time. And we maybe we talk about this next hour. We talk about supply chains being screwed up across the world. And we normally think about something like a generator for your automobile made in China. The, the parts were created in the United States. It was sent to Mexico or China where it's assembled and it's sent back to the United States. That happens a lot with automobiles and a lot of other things. But the big bottleneck right now for the automobile industry and Ford and General Motors have both reported it affecting their earnings. Matter of fact, Ford uh, is shutting down plants or leaving plants shut down through March. Gen General Motors is as well. Because, well, yeah, General Motors is. I'm thinking about General Motors. Ford, Ford's been shut down a couple of weeks so for, at this point. They haven't said how long they'll be shut down. But General Motors just made an announcement. But they're, they're shut down because of a shortage of computer chips. And the reason there's a shortage of computer chips is the cars weren't selling very well. Factories across the country that make cars were having to shut down or slow down production because of COVID infections. And so the, particularly in Korea and Taiwan, the chip making shuffled over to making chips for computer game consoles because those were selling like hotcakes. And webcams and... All the things that we've been buying at home since we've been stuck at home and, and the car sales were down. You can't just shift back on the, you can't turn on the dime on these things. And so it's going to take them a while to come up to speed to provide enough chips to keep the cars going. But I don't think anybody a year ago, if, if a year ago somebody said the critical component in cars that will slow down their production will be silicon chips. I don't think anybody would have thought that was credible, but it's happening. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I think that people would have thought you were crazy to think that that was what would stop an automobile from being made. Matter of fact, the CEO of General Motors during his earnings call when he was announcing their earnings, which they did pretty well on, by the way, um, said that they're making they're making cars and light trucks right now without computers, without critical computer chips. And they're just going to park them until they can get the chips in. If you would like to talk to us off the air, where we do actually give fiduciary investment advice through the Personal Wealth Coach, uh, you can call us. And during the week, we've got voicemail. During the week, I'm sorry, during the weekend, we have voicemail. During the, the week, we have real live people answering the phone. You can reach us locally at 254 947 1111. Or you can reach us toll free presuming you still have a landline, at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. We have recordings of this radio program going back lots of years. We've got links to where our podcasts are, and you can go all over the place for our podcasts. You can contact us directly or sign up for the newsletter through the contact form on the webpage, or you can email us directly at Jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. The podcast is available at every major 
podcast provider. So we've, we're really getting started on that. It's going to be chunks of the radio program. Sometimes it will be completely done for this. Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.